0: I would like to introduce uh, Jason to come on up to speak with us. He is just just to give you an idea. This guy, I have I have so much so much respect for this guy. He, was, <laughs> he didn't know I was going to do this, but he is he is one of the most pragmatically spiritual people that I have met, and that is hard that is a hard balance to find because. A lot of people, whenever they get over into the spiritual side of things, man, it, that, that, that is a slippery bank that you just, all of a sudden, it, it gets, gets really kind of, sometimes it gets really, really out there. He walks that line of being very spiritual, but absolutely pragmatic with it. So I really do encourage you today, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the topic of what he's going to talk about, and I encourage you to open your hearts, because what he's going to be talking about today is one of the topics that actually Jesus talked about a whole lot throughout the gospels. So as you prepare just prepare your hearts for it today, I have just the utmost respect for this guy and I am excited to hear what he has to share. Thank you, Pastor Ben.
1: I appreciate the opportunity to, to come and speak this morning. Um, I appreciate Pastor Stephen Mamie having trust in me to be able to to talk and not say something dumb in forty five minutes or so of talking, right? <laughs> Well, I can't promise that I'm not going to say something dumb, but I'm going to do my best anyway, Um, share from from the Word of God. Uh, You know, Pastor Ben just started off, or he started off that announcement talking about prayer meeting, and I got to just tell you guys, it is so worth it to come and just be in the presence of God for an hour, hour and a half on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. This past Wednesday, something that really just kind of, I don't know, speaking to me this morning, we were singing that last song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Something that was resonating within me was what we were praying about on this past Wednesday, this past, this past Wednesday, we started talking about the faithfulness of God, and something that came up was uh, in Hebrews 11. There's this you know, hall of faith, they call it. It's, it starts off saying, by faith, uh, you know, Abraham believed God, and, and, and it was recognized as righteous, and blah, blah, blah. It goes through all these great men of faith and all the things that they do. And as you get towards the end of the chapter, it starts saying, look, I don't even have time to talk about it all, he says. He says, that by faith, people conquered kingdoms, performed acts act of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, like all these great things that they did, right? And then it goes on to the next verse, and it gets really exciting. He says, um, women received back their dead from resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so they could obtain a better re- uh, resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Isn't exciting? Chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, but they were, they were put to death. Isn't that exciting, the things that God did through faith? You don't seem excited. Yeah. Stone, sawn, too, these things aren't good things. But no, the amazing thing is, with God's faithfulness, no matter what the outcome may be, we can recognize that ultimately His faithfulness is there, that He is faithful. And even if the outcome isn't necessarily what we want for it to be, or we hope for it to be, we can still look and say God is good. You know, the, the revelation that I got when, and, uh, when we read that this, this past Wednesday was when I was a, a young believer and, and struggling with whether or not the faith was real, struggling with my own faith, trying to figure out, you know, what, what it was all about. I would hear older people you know, something would happen, and and someone would, would you know get maybe diagnosed with cancer or something, right? And the whole church prays for him, and they lay hands on him and believe for him, and uh, the person's healed, and it's like great, and everybody's thank God, look at what God did, the power of God, and it's wonderful. And then somebody else gets cancer, and everybody lays hands on him, they pray for him, and they die, and everybody says, well, you know what, you got that was in God's plan, and God had good things in store for him. And no matter what the outcome was, there was always an answer, right? And what dawned on me was. As a young person, Jesus is the answer was always kind of the, the cop-out, I kind of thought. I thought, you know, they got an answer for everything, and it's always Jesus. What I've come to realize, though, as I as I've matured in faith is, we've always got an answer. And that answer is Jesus. Yeah. That it's actually true. It, it seems simple, and it seems kind of like, you know, hey, we're, you know, your brain's not even engaged in this. this. You can't just say Jesus is the answer, and Jesus is always right. You know what? Jesus is the answer, and Jesus is always right, and He is always faithful, no matter what the outcome. We get stuck sometimes on outcomes, but He's looking. He's got the long view, right? He's looking a lot beyond just how it turned out this time, or how it turned out this week, how it turned out this month, because He knows what eternity has in store, and He's building something in us, guys. So anyway, that's all. uh, That's all. Not in my notes. That's not all part of the sermon. That's just something to start off with, because. He mentioned prayer, and it just made me think about this week. It was exciting. Yeah. And, and most of our prayer meetings are like that. They're, they're not always, not every moment is exciting. But when you, when you sit in the presence of God with other believers, and you come together and believe for, for God to do things, things happen. Yeah. And it's exciting. So anyhow, I'll get back to the sermon now. All right, we'll get started here. So Pastor Ben mentioned, um, I am... Tend to be a practical kind of guy, pragmatic kind of guy. So, what I'm going to talk about today may not seem excessively spiritual, but I got to tell you, it's the combi—it's where spiritual and practicality meet, I think, more than any other thing, because I'm going to be talking about uh, the, the topic of finances today. And this is something that I talk about a lot because, you know, what Pastor Ben just did with the uh, announcements and all and, and receiving the offering and stuff, I, I do that most weeks. And when I do, I always kind of try to bring a little snippet, a little teaching, a little bit of something about finance. And uh, the, the thing is, is, I only get to give little pieces here and there, but I'm excited today because I'm going to kind of give a, a broad overview. I'm going to give a bigger picture, right? So I'm excited about this because you got to understand personal finance, first of all, it tends to be a whole lot more personal than it does finance. You know what I'm saying? Because when I start talking about money, or when somebody starts talking about money, somebody says, wait, that's my business. What I do with my money is my business and you don't need to know nothing about it, Right? Anybody? But we got to understand this is something the scripture talks about an awful lot. So we got to sometimes, you know, let that guard down a little bit. And let's get into the personal finance a little bit. Um, The idea that it's none of your business what I do with my money. God says, well, you better believe it is my business. And we're going to talk about why in just a minute here. You see, faith and finances are inextricably tied together. So uh, as I mentioned today, I'm going to try to, to bring a, a big picture here as a disclaimer. I am not a paid staff member of this church, so I do not gain anything directly by talking about money. <laughs> so if you're worried that I'm talking about giving and money and stuff because I'm trying to get something out of you, that's not my, that's not my uh, take here, okay? I, I gain nothing from this, but I'm hoping that you're going to gain a lot. Because this is an area that will impact your life, I promise you, if you, if you take it to heart and, and apply it. Um, I believe that, that the area of finances is pivotal to our spiritual growth. I believe that money is a physical expression of spiritual truths. So that's why I'm excited to share it with you. That's where Pastor Ben mentioned the, the, the combination there of practicality and spirituality. I think money is the, the ultimate pinnacle of that. Why? Because it affects each and every one of us. We cannot live without money, right? But there's a spiritual element to it that we're going to discuss today and read what the scripture has to say about it. So that's where the, the physical and the spiritual kind of come together. And that's why I think it is such a touchy topic for a lot of people. I think that's why a lot of people have a hard time talking about money in church because it's real. It's tangible. It's not pie in the sky, so to speak, right? It's not super spiritual, you don't get the chills necessarily when you talk about money. You don't get to feel good. You don't get the you know, start running around. But it affects every one of us. Um, now, I could teach on another topic. I'm not, I don't want anybody to think that I only talk about money because I do talk about other stuff. But I've had it on my heart for a long time to, to do this and talk about it as, as kind of a, a, broad, a broad picture of the, the whole topic here. Now, that being said, it's such a broad subject that there is no way that I can cover everything the Bible has to say about money in, you know, like 45 minutes or whatever, right? That is just not going to happen, so uh, I'll do my best to give you a big-picture approach, see what the Bible says um, and what it looks like through a biblical worldview. Often uh, churches, including this one at times, teach on the importance of giving, right? Sometimes it's seen as the most definitive uh, or definitely it, it's, it's an important aspect, but giving is only one part of finances, Giving is only one part of what the Bible has to say about it, but I, I think sometimes people get stuck on that, and I think sometimes it's, it's, it's legit. I mean, we we have to teach people how to give. We have to teach people what the Bible says, because quite frankly, if you never grew, if you didn't grow up in church and hadn't been around it, how do you know what the Bible says about it? Until you read what it says, right? So that's why we like to talk about it, because you got to get it out there, But but giving is only one piece, so certainly I'm going to talk about that today, but understand that the teaching on money, it's, um, it's important to understand the rest of it, the rest of the picture, right? Sometimes I think that, that pastors and ministers have, have taught on that to the uh, exclusion of every other aspect of finances. Matter of fact, uh, you know, back during the 1980s, and 1990s, there was many televangelists that harped on this aspect of money so much that it turned off really a whole generation of people, right? Right. Um, it turned off a lot of people from the gospel, especially when these well-known televangelists were caught misappropriating, embezzling, or flat-out stealing, right? And it's understandable, right? I mean, you hear about things like that happen, it makes you say, yeah, I don't know that I want to deal with that. Um, as a result, though, many church leaders went the other way, just to avoid the topic of money altogether. So, well, we don't want to offend anybody, we don't want to upset anybody, so we're just going to be, be quiet about it. I believe this is a disservice to the body of Christ. Because money is a major theme throughout Scripture. And also money touches nearly every aspect of our lives. So today as we talk about finances and money from a biblical perspective, I want to see how it ties into our faith as an important issue. We're going to talk about uh, teaching on the proper view of money and the use found throughout the Scripture in the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, it said that there are over 2,000 verses in Scripture related to money. And uh, I got to say, I haven't counted, so I can't verify that. But I do know that there's a lot of them. We're going to go through a few of them today, but there are so many that I i, I couldn't put everything in here. Um, but if you start thinking about it, thinking about what does the Bible have to say about money? Uh, you know, you think about all the different verses there, there's, there's, there's deal, deal with money directly, there's stewardship, uh, there's the sacrifices, right? And it starts way back with Cain and Abel, the first sacrifices. Um, near the beginning of Genesis, then you get Abraham, he's given the tithe to Melchizedek. There's the directions for tithes and offerings uh, and the sacrifice throughout, throughout the whole Torah, right? There's all these different sacrifices they had to give, there's all the directions and stuff that come with that. Uh, there's many of the Proverbs that talk about handling money, saving, generosity, and the like. There's the frequently quoted scripture in Malachi, and we'll actually talk about that in a few minutes here as well, in which God says to test him regarding the giving of tithes and offerings and see if he will not pour out a blessing that cannot be contained. When you get into the New Testament, Jesus talked about money or used money to teach several spiritual truths. There's 40 parables that Jesus taught, and in 11 of those 40, over 25% of them had to do with money. Uh, throughout his recorded teachings, he spoke of money more often than faith or prayer. Uh, in the first couple chapters of Acts, it speaks about the way that the apostles and the first church believers dealt with sharing and giving their money um, and their possessions. Even talk about one couple that was struck dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit about what, they, about what they were given. And it wasn't that they did a bad thing as far as in the giving, but they lied. They said, we're going to give it all, but they held back a little bit. Seems like a little thing, but God said it's important enough that, they did, <laughs> that he struck them dead. That's kind of crazy, right? So that's why when I tell you I think money is an important issue, it was definitely important to Ananias and Sapphira, I'll tell you that, right? It was important to the early church, it was important to Jesus, it was important throughout scripture, so that's why we're going to talk about this today. So uh, it seems like a big deal to God, so I figure it's going to be a big deal to us. And as we go through this today, I want to make sure that we're considering not what Jason says, um, but what God's word says. So I hope you brought your Bible with you we're going to go through uh, several scriptures. Some will be on the uh, screen, and some will not. But if you, if you don't have a Bible, if you, if you raise your hand, one of the yeshers will, will bring one t- to you. Um, anybody need one? Right here. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, pray as we begin, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. And thank you for your faithfulness to us. As we just prayed, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. And Lord, help us to learn to be faithful people, to be faithful men and women, to to obey your word, to do what you say and what you direct us to. Help us to become all you've called us to become. I pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you'd anoint the words that come out of my mouth, that I'd speak your very words and not, not just what's in my own mind or my own thoughts, Lord God, but I pray that you would... Speak through me today and touch hearts, Lord God. Let people come to the knowledge of you. Thank you for your goodness and your love for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we develop a biblical understanding and why money is important to God, um, we're going to look at several different aspects. Our focus is not to be um, on money and possessions all the time. As a matter of fact, there are several warnings in scriptures regarding seeking, seeking wealth, seeking gain. Um, and how how money? If, if you seek wealth, it tends to make wings for itself and fly away, right? There's warnings on that says one of the scriptures that people quote all the time: "The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil," right? That's true. The love of money. If you're focused on money all the time, you love it and you're working for it all the time. Guess what? It's it, there's evil that comes from it. But we got to understand what that what that scripture says is not money. Isn't evil? Matter of fact, money seems to be amoral when you read it through Scripture. It's the love of money. It's seeking after money as opposed to everything else. It's saying, look, money's more important than my family. Money's more important than other people and human beings who, who Christ died for, right? Money's more important than fill in the blank. Whenever we're seeking money like that, that's when it's the root of all kinds of evil. Not that we shouldn't seek money to provide, right? We have to do that. Matter of fact... Ever since the, the Garden of Eden and all that kind of stuff, man, men have to toil in order to, to, to make money. So that's what the idea. Toil is working to make money, to feed your family, to, to take care of your needs, etc., etc. So understand that money itself is not evil. We got that? Yeah, yeah. The love of money is. Yeah. Um, however, we strive to, whenever we strive to understand the connection between faith and finance, we're going to look at five different aspects today. Number one, stewardship, giving, freedom, generosity, and relationship. Those are the five areas we're going to talk about today. So number one is stewardship. And I want to start at the very beginning. So if you have your Bible, look at uh, the very first page of your Bible there, Genesis 1-1. Do I need to give you extra time to find it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that have to do with money? By, nature, by, by by the fact that he created, virtue of creation, it belongs to him. Simple enough. By virtue of creation, it belongs to him. Now we see that in today, today we have the same thing. How do we have that? Copyrights. If you come up with an idea, you come up with a design, you come up with something and you copyright that and it's, it's yours, guess what? it's yours. It belongs to you. Nobody else can copy that without being infringed upon, right? That they're infringing upon you and you can sue them and all kinds of stuff. Now, I know that stuff happens anyway. People steal ideas. People steal stuff all the time. But legally, even we still recognize that today, right? By virtue of creating something, it's yours. So by virtue of God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in it, it's his. Do we understand that? Pretty basic, pretty simple, right? The Bible talks about that again in Psalm 24, 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The King James, says, I think, says, uh, the fullness thereof. Right? The same scripture is, is echoed uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 26. It says the same thing. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. What does that mean? It belongs to Him. Okay? Now, if you uh, go down from verse to verse 28 in Genesis 1, it gives what we call the dominion mandate. And it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over or have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gave authority to man to rule, right? Dominion, authority. But he did not forfeit his ownership, it's still his. So that's where we get the idea of stewardship. That's the beginning of this. It's his, and we're merely stewards. That's a concept that's not taught in the world very much. Stewardship is not something that's valued very much. Instead, we think, well, if it's not mine, I don't have to care for it as much. In reality, if it's not mine, I should be caring for it extra, right? Um. God gave us authority to rule, but it's still His. Our very beings belong to Him. Scripture says that the very breath that comes into our bodies is from Him, right? So if if we belong to Him, if all of this belongs to Him, if everything we see belongs to Him, and we're simply caretakers or stewards of it, then that's how we need to act. We need to act as stewards. We need to act as caretakers. In Deuteronomy 8.18 it says, But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving the power to make wealth. That he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Not only did he make you. Not only did he make everything we see. Not only did he give you the breath that's in your lungs. But he gave you the ability to generate wealth. Whatever skills, whatever ability you may have. If you can swing an axe, that came from God. If you can dig a shovel, that came from God. If you can, can write code, that came from God. doesn't matter what, what you can do, whatever gifts you have, whatever allows you to be able to generate wealth, it came from God. So if it came from Him, we need to recognize that, and that's the idea of stewardship once again. If we are His and all we have, including the ability to work and make money, uh, then we can begin to realize that every blessing bestowed upon us is a gift from God, And should be appropriated in a way that honors him. What do I mean by that? It should be used in a way that brings glory to him. Should I use my money to do things that would dishonor God? Should I use my talents, my gifts, to do things that dishonor God? No. It's all his. We need to honor him in all of it, right? You follow me so far? It's pretty simple. It's basic. Stewardship. Examples of, stewards, of stewardship are things like managers. They're not owners of companies necessarily or, or whatever, but they, they're to oversee that department or that business or that whatever, right? Caretakers, um, power of attorneys. You know, if you have an elderly person that can't handle their own finances and they make you a power of attorney, you're responsible to oversee their money for them. So does that mean you take all their money and you go to the, the casino and blow it all? would that be an appropriate use of their funds? So at the same way, would that be an appropriate use of God's funds? Ambassadors. There's an example of stewardship. When an ambassador speaks, it's as if that nation is speaking. Right? So when an ambassador makes a promise to another nation, you're stuck. You're on the hook for that. You made that promise. So the same way when you promise your finances to somebody else, you're on the hook for that. God's on the hook for that because you made that commitment and you're his ambassador. That's the idea of stewardship. It's acting, anytime that you're acting for someone else, you're acting as a steward. So everything, when, when we have money, when we have whatever, we're acting for God, we're his stewards and we need to, to recognize that as such. Um, it's kind of like the, whole, the, the old bracelets, WWJD, Right? What would Jesus do with my finances? Is this a good opportunity? Would Jesus take this opportunity? Maybe. (laughs) The essence of stewardship is it's not mine, so I need to take good care of it. Um, It's not just an idea of can I pay for it. Because we have this idea that if I can afford the payments on something, then I can afford it. Is that true? That's what our, our mentality is, but is that true? Just cuz you can make the payments on something doesn't mean you can afford it. You know, I think about when I was when I was 16 years old and I bought my first car. I could afford the $500 that I paid for the car, and that was about it. So a week later when the alternator went out and I had to come up with 35 bucks for an alternator, well, that was a chore, but I had to do it, right? And a week after that when the starter went out and I had to come up with another 35 bucks for a starter, well, that was another thing I had to come up with. A week after that, when the battery went out, and I had to come up with 65 bucks for the battery. You follow me? There's more to that, to that thing or that item than just being able to make the payments. And I think that sometimes we get this idea in this culture that if I can make the payments, easy monthly payments, that I'm good. And we skate by on the, on the knife edge of being able to make our, make our commitments. We commit to things that we have no business committing to. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute, though. It's not just that can I pay for it, but can I care for it? Luke sixteen ten and 11 says this. Luke sixteen ten and 11. He who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? That tells me right there that God uses wealth as a measuring rod. Can you be faithful? It's just a little thing. It's just money. Can you be faithful with it? Because if you can be faithful with money, then I can, I, I can give you some true riches. Now, I don't know what that means. I'm not sure what the true riches he's speaking of are, but I can't wait. I want it, right? I want to be, be seen faithful... That he can trust me with true riches. But that starts with the little thing. Can we be faithful in our finances? I believe that we need to ask God. God. How do you want me to manage my money? What do you want me to do with this? I believe every time we get a paycheck. God. How do you want me to handle this? Now. I think it's also good before we sit, that we sit down every once in a while and make a plan. Make a plan for the month. Make a plan for the year. Make a plan for five years, right? But then as we sit down with that plan, we need to say, God, this is my plan that I'm putting together, but I pray for your leadership. I pray for your guidance. I pray that you would help me to know how to use this in a way that honors you. Because he may have plans that are better than what you have. And you need to be open to receive that. I believe also that God can provide divine opportunities, divine connections, divine ideas to start businesses, to create products, to do things in a different way. You ever thought to ask Him for that? When's the last time you said, God, I pray that you would help connect me with the people that are going to help help lead me to the, to the destiny that you have for me. God, I pray that today you would help me to, to, to come across the, the people that are going to help, you know, Gonna help spur me onto the next thing that you have for me for for the next part of my life, Lord. Right now, my finances aren't where I want them to be, and I just pray that you give me a good idea, a godly idea to 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 move to the next level, Lord. If there's another job that you have for me, if I'm supposed to move somewhere else, if I'm supposed to go to a different company, or if I'm supposed to create something of my own, God, I'm open. But most of the time, it's just I'm gonna go to work, do the same old, same old, and complain that I don't have what I want going to wish that I had something that I don't have. Going to be jealous of the guy that has it and I don't, right? But let's take time to pray and God, give me some divine ideas. Give me some divine opportunities. All right, so that's that's number 1, stewardship. Do we have a, a grasp on stewardship? All right, so we go into the next step, which is giving. We're going to talk specifically about first fruits. So once again back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, Verses 3 through 5, it says this. It says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. Now they both brought an offering to God. What's the, the difference? I mean, now it's not fair to say that Abel needed to bring a, a lamb or sheep because Abel was a farmer that that grew vegetables. He didn't grow sheep. Cain, I mean, Cain did rather. Abel, on the other hand, he, he raised the sheep, right? But it was that Abel brought the firstlings, the first fruits. He brought the best to God. The first and the best. And, and, and God recognized that and said, hey, I approve. Cain, I appreciate that you brought something to me, but you kind of brought me the leftovers. You brought me the ones that were a little bit deformed, the ones that weren't as big as the others. You brought, the, you, know, you brought something, but come on, that's the best you can do? In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says this. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's the idea of the first fruits, the best, the first of what we have we give to God. And when we do that, he will then bless the rest of it. Okay? The idea of the first fruits also ties in together with the idea of the tithe. You've heard me talk about this many times uh, in relation to giving whenever we do the offering at the beginning of the service. It's the idea that uh, the first 10% belongs to God. Where do we get that from? We get it. Malachi is one place, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but there's there's several places in Scripture that, that, that talks about that. Um, first of all, Let me say this. In the Old Testament, under the law, they were required to give the tithe. But they were not required only to give the tithe. They had to give the tithe. They had to give the sin offering. And they had to give a free will offering. There was usually a grain offering in addition to that. There was uh, new moon festivals. They would give another sacrifice, another offering. There was a whole lot of stuff they gave besides just the the tithe, right? The tithe is only a part of that. But the tithe, the idea that goes back well before that. It goes back to, to Abraham when he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. right? There's no law at that time. That was just him saying, God, I submit to you, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give 10% to this guy. And we later realize that Melchizedek is, is kind of a, a prefigure of Christ. Right? So it all ties together with the whole, the whole lineage of Scripture. It, it predates the, the law. So, so the people that want to say, hey, the tithe, that's Old Testament law stuff. That doesn't apply to us. Um, you're wrong. Just, just simply, you're wrong. It, it, it's beyond that, okay? And, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, too, how that goes beyond. Because it was pre- before the law, it was during the law, and Jesus even talked about it after the law. So, so it, still, it still applies to us, right? Uh, one common quote, quote of Scripture is the one that, that uh, our sisters mentioned over here, Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse. And you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if we really understand that scripture, then that's life changing. Because there's a whole lot in that. He said, Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Why? So there'd be food, there may be food in my house. He said, Look, that, that's the way that you're going to provide for the ministers. That's the way that the, in the Old Testament they provided for the priests and the Levites, was the tithe of the people. How do our pastors get paid? From the tithe of the people? Right? How do we pay for lights and electricity and heat, heat and air? The tithe and the giving of the people, right? Nothing's changed. It's still the same. So there may be, may be food in my house. So there's provision for the church, for, for what God needs, right? Um, that still applies today. And, and, and then it goes on, though, to say that when you do this, I'll rebuke the devourer for you. The vine, your vine will not cast its grapes. The fruits of the, uh, it will not destroy the fruits of your ground. Hey, that means good stuff's going to happen. If you if you give the tithe first, then the rest of it can be blessed. Amen. Now, I'm a horrible gardener. Um, we've tried. I've tried growing a garden at, at my shop at work, and then we also have one at home. And we've gotten a few things out of it, but I got to say that the slugs have eaten a whole lot of it. The uh, or the squash bugs ate some more of it. Um, all, all kinds of stuff have been attacking the garden, and and you try to not use. Too many pesticides and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, you just want to, like, nuke the whole thing, I think, because you're tired of all these bugs eating everything. But God says, look, when you, when you obey me and you do give me the first of it, then I can bless that and make the rest of it work better. So I'm, I'm believing that he's going to teach me and show me how to do a better job in the garden so that I can have more fruitfulness. Amen? But I don't think it's just in the garden. I think it's at work. I think it's in the businesses that we take part in. I think it's in our families, in our, in our investment opportunities, that he can give us things that we don't even recognize. Do you realize that during the Great Depression, when the vast majority of, of Americans lost everything, really, right, and had very little, but there were some during that time that made more money than they'd ever made? There are some that made a lot of money during that time. Whether it was insider trading... <laughs> Or whether they knew what was going to happen. Or whether God gave them an idea and said, hey, you need to take that money and and invest it over here. Trust me, this is a good one. Whether God showed them ways to, to provide for others during that time and serve others during that time. And as a result, he was able to bless them accordingly. You see, no matter what's going on around us, when we're faithful to God, he will be faithful to us. Great is thy faithfulness. No matter what, he is faithful to us. So as we give of that tithe, that's just the beginning. But he says, look, you do that, and I can bless you in all these other ways. Amen? Um, some people think that the tithe, like I said, was only under the law. Uh, but as you get into the New Testament, Jesus said this in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. told the Pharisees, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And neglect the weightier measures, provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. He didn't do away with the tithe. He said you should be doing these other things and tithing, right? Matter of fact, if we look at what Jesus did um, throughout most of scripture, when, when he was confronted with these things, he said, well, the law says this, but I say something more. He took it a little further. He said, the law says don't commit adultery. I say don't even look at a woman in lust for her. You've already committed adultery in her." It, it, it's a step higher. So if the law says the tithe is, is where you ought to be, I believe his measure is somewhere above that. I do think that the tithe is a good starting point though, right? It's, it's a good place to start to, to, uh, to use your faith to say, okay, God, I'm going to give in faith and believe that you're going to go above that and, and teach me to give, to give more. Um, uh, just a little side note regarding tithing and, and, and all. I don't. I want to make sure that, that that you understand that if you can't make it to church, you can keep giving tithe Remember, Pastor Ben mentioned these electronic things that we can give. You can give through the text to give. There's the app. There's the website. Those things still work even if you're on vacation or up a camp. Anybody? All right. Because this still, exactly, everything still has to go on no matter what. So you can give even if you're not here. I actually like the fact that we can do it electronically now because you can actually, you can give it right now. Sometimes I don't like to wait till next Sunday because by next Sunday I might forget. So if it's Tuesday, guess what? The app still works. The text to give still works. (laughs) Just saying. Um, But the reason I'm saying this is I don't want you to miss out on the blessing that will come to you because you forgot about it or didn't think about it. Number three, freedom. A big topic today throughout the secular world and the Christian world, whatever, is financial freedom. Everyone wants to be free to be able to spend and give however uh, however they want with no limits. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be fantastic just to have so much money that you don't even have to think about it? But unfortunately, I don't think there's many in this room that actually find themselves in that position. Anyone? No. So let's see, what does the scripture talk about freedom when it comes to finances? This is a big one here, and this one actually makes, makes a lot of the other ones make sense to me. And that is Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Easy monthly payments. Nothing down. Only 25 bucks a month. Doesn't it sound great? For only 25 bucks a month, you too can be a slave to fill in a blank. Do you think about it like that? Because that's what it is. You're signing up for slavery. When you sign that dotted line, taking out a loan, you're signing up to be that person's slave. Say, oh, I'm nobody's slave. I'm my own person. Try not to make two payments, see what happens. I'm just saying. Our economy has been largely built up with people depending on credit and loans to do everything. Now, while this allows you to obtain things uh, you know, now and pay later... What you're really signing up for is this slavery. The biggest enemy to our finances, our personal finances, is the interest paid when we borrow money. And you think about how much money you pay on interest to pay for things that, you already, that you're done with already. You start to realize, wow, maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all. Romans 13, 7, and 8 says this. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now there's some important stuff in there. Render to all who is due them, tax to whom tax is due. Tax to whom tax is due. Who do we pay taxes to? The government. I got to tell you, I hate to pay taxes to the government. There's a part of me that truly believes that all taxation is theft. <laughs> OK, now I see the need for for military. I see the need to protect our borders. I see the need for some federal stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't think that all taxation is necessarily bad. I do think it should be limited. I do think we pay far too much taxes. I think we have a whole lot more government programs than we need to have. Right. But we still have to pay tax to whom taxes due. So that right there tells you that tax evasion is not a good thing. Now, I will tell you the tax avoidance can be a good thing. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's times when it's OK to use the, the loopholes, to use the law that they have in, in, in place. Right. We can use that. It's okay. Tax avoidance that's legal and moral, that's, that's good. Tax evasion, that's illegal. that winds you up in jail. It's not, not really a good thing. Or, or maybe it'll wind you up in Congress. Either way, it's not a good thing. Either way. What did I say? Alright. <laughs> Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. What does that mean? That's kind of a weird one. We don't use that word anymore. But when you go in or out of the country, what do you have to go through? Customs. What is customs? That's a tax to get into the country or a tax to leave a country, right? At, at times in the past, that has been, hey, look, if you want to come into our land, you've got to give us a gift. And that's still what happens. It's just now it's all official with people with guns that are, that are you know, making sure that happens and stuff, right? It used to be kind of more just Custom, customarily. Hey, look! If you're coming here, you bring a gift. Now it's, you're coming here, and you're going to bring a gift, right? Same thing, just a little di- little different way they handle that. Um, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Do you recognize that we need to honor those that are in authority over us, even when we don't necessarily like the decisions that they make? And you can still honor somebody and disagree with them. You don't have to. Agree with everything they say to give them that honor. But that's, that's what we're to do. We're to honor those that, that are in authority over us. Um, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. If we can do just that, then we're going to see financial freedom like we've never known before. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or mammon, or material things—you cannot be completely free to to serve God when you're bound to someone else or something else. I, I touched on that a little bit earlier, but I want to I want to sit on that just for a second here. If you have tied yourself up with two car loans and a boat loan, and and your mortgage, and uh, that credit, those three, four, five, six credit cards, right? However many things it has, you start tying yourself with all these things, then you're not free to obey God whenever he wants you to. Because he is going to be tied to that. You, you, you signed on the contract, but he's going to say, look, you signed on it, you need to make good on it. We talked about being an ambassador earlier. So when, when an ambassador makes a commitment, that commitment is made on behalf of that nation. Okay? So when you make a commitment, you're tying up God's hands. Because he's going to say, look, you made that commitment, you've got to honor that commitment. You need to make it right. So every time we sign on that dotted line of slavery, he's saying, look, you, you signed it. you got to do it. It's yours. So you're no longer free to completely obey him. So when you know, a missionary comes and speaks and says, hey, look, this is what God's going on. And you say, man, I'd really love to give them 500 bucks. Ooh, I don't got it, though, because if I pay the 500 bucks, then I won't be able to pay on the ATV and I won't be able to pay on the motorcycle and probably won't be able to make a boat payment. Sorry, God, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm going to pass this time. That is serving mammon rather than serving God. Because you're tied to those things. You're locked in. Now look, if you locked yourself in, if you tied yourself to those things, if you signed those notes, guess what? You're responsible to make it good. I'm not telling you to not pay your things you, your, you owe, right? You have already tied yourself in. But what I am saying is, get out of it as quickly as you can. Pay, out, pay off your debts so that you can be free. Because then whenever God directs you to do something, whenever God gives you that divine idea for a new business... Maybe you'll have the capital to start it up. I believe that God does desire for us to be financially free. But I think that he ha- it has more to do with our avoiding debt and our committing to Him and being faithful to Him um, than it does anything else. It's, when we can freely use the money that, that we earn to give, to save, and to spend wisely... That is what freedom looks like. When we're stuck and we can't do with it what we feel God's leading us to do with it, then that's kind of an indicator that we're serving mammon rather than serving God. The other way to become financially free, the other aspect of that, the other side of that coin, so to speak, is to save. Proverbs 21.20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Are you living beyond your means? Are you getting by just? Or are you able to set some aside? Are you saving some? Are you, are you building wealth? Um, if you choose to live on less than you make and save up, then you begin to have that precious treasure and oil in your dwelling. And when you have that available to you, then you're able to obey God at a greater level. Because then when he leads you to do something, you're able to say, yes, God, let me do it right, right away, sir. There's many more scriptures like that. I'll, I'll avoid going into those um, just because of time. I want to get to the next couple of, couple of things here. Uh, the next point is generosity. If you turn to Proverbs 11, verse 25. Proverbs 11, verse 25 says, it says, The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. Matthew 5.42 Jesus said, Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. There's a generous idea for you. But in Luke 6, Jesus takes generosity a step further than that. He said, If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners In order to uh, receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. That's a step up. That's not just lending somebody 50 bucks because they need, you know, they'll, they'll pay me back at the end of the week. I know payday's coming. They're good. That's saying, no, here's 50 bucks and hey, don't worry about it. Once again, if we're tied to all these other things, are we free to give to others? It's kind of quiet in here this morning. I'm not sure. <laughs> I did mention in the beginning, that this tends to be a lot more personal than it does finance, right? Um, so generosity is what God is leading us to, 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 to be, to be generous people. Why? Because he's generous. Because he's given more than we could ever imagine. And because he's such a giver, he says, look, I want you to be kind of like me. I want you to learn to be giving like I am. I want you to learn to be generous like I'm generous. And he wants us to be that. You know, there's another scripture that even says that uh, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. God, he, he recognizes that freedom is a, is a valuable commodity. Matter of fact, in our modern world, we tend to... Uh, not recognize the freedoms that we have. We certainly don't celebrate them. And we've kind of stopped guarding the freedom that we've had. And as a result, they start to dwindle away. Because freedom's something that doesn't come easy, it doesn't come cheap. Matter of fact, that's all the more reason to pay off debt. Because once you get out of debt and you pay off everything, all of a sudden it's, I'm never doing that again. Right? Once you work hard, you, 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 Do everything you can to get out from underneath that. All of a sudden, you say, Look, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to go back to that. God honors freedom, God recognizes freedom, God values freedom. And He also values generosity. He values us being able to give to others, to be able to bless others. What does He say true religion is? Caring for orphans and widows? Who are the orphans and widows or those that, that can't help themselves, don't have the ability? Now, especially when you look back in, in Old Testament times, nowadays, I know, yes, women can work, women can get jobs, all that kind of stuff, but back then they couldn't. It wasn't an option for them. So if they didn't have somebody to provide for them, guess what? They starved. So how are we able to, to help those by the spirit of generosity? Those that are unable to provide for themselves, that don't have something now... It's unfortunate because in this country we've, we've kind of relied on the government to do that for us. And I've got to tell you, any time the government steps in to do something like that, they do a really bad job at it. It costs them a whole lot more money to give to people than it does for a nonprofit or church or organization to be able to do that. The government can do all these things for us. They're just going to do it very poorly. They don't help the people that really need it. They help the people that check all the right boxes. They, they take the money that, that that's given to them, and, and they have to use so much on the bureaucratic aspect that only a small portion actually goes to the people who are in need, right? So when we are generous, then we can, we can skip the middleman <laughs> and get rid of the government, and, that, and that's why I, I think the government's way too big. We need to, to, to diminish the size of it and everything else, but that's for a different day, so... All right, so uh, we went through the, the, the first four here. The next one is relationship, relating to God, one another, and sharing the gospel. Luke 16:9 says this: says, "I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness or money, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings." I must say that's a little bit of a confusing passage because there's, there's a lot of stuff in that. It's like, well, what do you mean the eternal dwellings? What, how do we make friends with that? But I think the essence, what I get at least, especially when you look in the context of that chapter and the other things that Jesus is teaching, what I get from that is use money to make friends. And as a result, you'll see more people come to the kingdom of God. It's pretty simple. Use money to make friends. Well, what do you mean use money to make friends? I mean, bless somebody. Simple, right? When you, get, when you use what you have to invite somebody over for, for, for a meal, and maybe it's not just money, maybe it's also your gifts, your talents, your abilities, what you, can, what you can do, you're blessing somebody else. You're giving of what you have, and as a result, I believe that more and more people will come to the, to the knowledge of God because they say, hey, that friendly guy... Now I want to get to know him a little bit more. He seems to be, you know, he, he keeps on giving me nice stuff. That, that's pretty cool. And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, give everybody a Rolex or something like that, right? It's little acts of generosity. It's little acts of of friend. But it's using the money that God gives you, that God has entrusted you with, the wealth that that He's provided, to make friends so that more people can come to the to the knowledge of Him. Matter of fact, Proverbs nineteen six. I like this one. It says. Many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. When you're generous, you have more friends. Straight up. You have more friends. When you're a giving person, you have more friends. That's pretty practical. right? Going back to the whole practical spiritual thing, that's a practical way. You want to get to know, know some more people? Be generous. It's going to happen. You'll, more people want to be around you. Many seek the favor of a generous man. And every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. I don't know how to say it any more succinctly than that. Generosity. You know, I think that that book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think it could have been narrowed down to that verse right there. How to Win Friends. Give them something. It works, right? But money is a way that we relate to one another. When we do business with someone... We're relating to them. We're having a uh, an exchange, because when you do business, at least when you do it right and you do it well, you're saying, "Hey, look, I, I want what you have there, and I'm willing to give what I have in order to get what you have." And as long as you're saying, "Yeah, you know what, I, I'm willing to have what you have if you'll have what I have, right?" And money is simply a means of exchange. It's just a way that we do that. Because if we had to barter everything, that can get really, really difficult. Because if you have an apple orchard and you have, you know, bushels and bushels of apples, and you need some dentistry work done, how many apples is that dentist going to need? Right? Probably more than he's going to, you know, more than it's going to take. But it doesn't matter. We use money, though, as that exchange, that medium in between. But when you're, when you're exchanging money with someone, you're saying, hey, look, uh, I really like what you have there, and, and, and you seem to like what I have, and I, I'm willing to, to exchange that. Are, are we good with that? And, well, yeah. It's not about taking advantage of somebody. You know, who, who likes to get a deal around here? Any deal shoppers? Any, Yeah? Coupons or, or you know, 20% off? I love clearance sales, so you can get stuff like 80 90% off sometimes. It's fantastic. But even when you're getting something on sale or at a clearance price, at a bargain basement price, that retailer is saying, look, we're willing to sell it for this because we just, we just want rid of it. And we'll be happy to take 10% of what it was priced at before just to get it out of our door. So you're actually doing us a favor by buying this at this lower price? And I'm saying, yes, may I have another? I'll tell you, you know, right? But when we do an interaction of any kind, it's, it's, it's a relationship that we're building there. Now, I'm not going to say that you're going to have a deep, tight bond with the person at the checkout at, uh, at Aldi, Right? I mean, that person's just checking, your scanning your groceries. You're probably not going uh, to be invited to their wedding. Probably not going to get a, a card telling about the birth of their first child or something like that because it's not necessarily that close of a relationship, but it's still a relationship nonetheless. It's a relationship that says, hey, I appreciate you and I appreciate what you have. Um, let's do business together. But it also gives you an opportunity. There's an opportunity to smile at that person and say, hey... You know, that's a lovely shirt you have on there today. Brighten their day just a little bit. It's an interaction where you're building a relationship. And matter of fact, if you go to the same place and do your, do your business at the same place with the same people, you actually might start to get to know them a little bit more. You actually might be invited to their, to their wedding or something like that because you, you, you get to know them a little bit. And every time you just have a little bit more conversation, a little bit more relationship, you never know where that's going to lead. And one day that might even lead to the opportunity to share Christ with them. Once again, when's the last time you prayed for divine contacts and divine opportunities? God, today as I go to the store, I just pray for a divine contact, divine opportunity that I might be able to to share your love with somebody today. Simple prayer. When you have that interaction, there's an opportunity. Every transaction is a chance to connect with someone, to develop that relationship. Um, Relationship with money also has to do with how we relate to God. Stewardship and generosity and all these things we've been talking about, it's an act of worship. Because when we recognize who he is. When we recognize what he's given to us. How he's blessed us. When we recognize all this stuff. And we learn to be good stewards. We learn to give obediently. We learn to avoid being tied down with debt. We learn to be generous. We're displaying his character. And we're relating to him. When you give to him. When you give of your tithe as we talked about. And even above the tithe you give offerings. Then... You're recognizing God. It's all yours. It's not mine. I'm making this statement publicly. I'm, I'm giving to 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 you. When you give to this church, you're not necessarily giving to uh, just the CLC. You're not giving to Pastor Stephen Mamie. You're giving to the Kingdom of God. Now, don't under, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we are um, that we are the church right we're only one part of that church we're only one small part in, in a in a in the grand scheme of things but that's how we give to the church there is no central location you know we're not giving to the Vatican that's not us we don't do that right when you give to, to the church you are giving to God so this is a way we relate to him we relate to him as as worship we relate to Him, recognizing. That it all belongs to him. Because God is the most generous giver of all. He gave the greatest gift that the world has ever known. He gave Jesus Christ to die for your sin and for my sin. And he did that not knowing whether or not we would actually take, take him up on it. Right? It says... It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to make a decision and then say, okay, you've accepted me, now I'm going to die for you. We're good. He took a chance. He put it all on the line. And he said, look, I'm giving it all, believing that some are going to take it. And no, not everybody's going to come to the knowledge of Jesus. But our hope and his hope is that none should perish, but that all should come to, to repentance. And so today, I just want to take a minute. If everybody just bow your heads for a second, I want to give you the opportunity today. If you recognize God, I don't really know if I have a relationship with you, I've never accepted what you've done for me, I've never received the forgiveness that you've given me and you want to do that today, I just invite you to raise your hand now. We'll pray a prayer with you, and you can know that today you can be part of the family of God. Is there anyone? Pastor Ben will come and finalize things but Lord we recognize that everything we have comes from you we recognize that we're merely stewards that nothing that we have is our own but it all belongs to you and I just pray Lord God that you would help us to give boldly that you would help us to give obediently that you'd teach us to be generous like you're generous that you'd help us Lord God to be all you called us to be and to show that to other people, that, that the gospel will go forth in the world and more and more people come to the knowledge of you. We submit to you today, Lord, and we recognize your lordship. And we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name.